Today we're going to continue with the series that we've been dealing with on being led by the Holy Spirit. And we've been looking at how the Holy Spirit, how God, through His Holy Spirit, led the saints under the Old Covenant. And the reason that we've been looking under the Old Covenant is that we want to have a look at the practices that took place under the Old Covenant and so that we can compare them with the practices that take place under the New. The whole purpose of that being so that we can ensure that we do not take practices under the Old Covenant and bring them into the New unless they are applicable to the New. And so it's important for us to understand just how God led the saints under the Old Covenant and then we can compare that to the way that the Lord leads His saints under the New Covenant and we can see which practices are still applicable under the New Covenant and which are not. Um, and so, yeah, that's where we are at this point in time. But let's, be, let's open in prayer. Father, we want to thank You for Your heavenly Word. We want to thank You that Your Word is powerful and it is able, Lord God, to instruct us in righteousness. It is able to give us doctrine. It is able to conform us into the image of Jesus Christ, our Lord, your Son. We thank you for the power of your word. It works mightily in us, Father. We ask, Heavenly Father, that in Jesus' name, that as I speak your word now, that it would be as the oracles of God, that the Holy Spirit would anoint these words, and that you would open our understanding, Father, that we would have clear and complete understanding of your word with regards to being led by the Holy Spirit. All of this we ask in the precious and the mighty name of Jesus Christ our Lord, and we thank you for that, Heavenly Father. Amen. And so we had a look at uh, the three primary ways um, in which the Holy Spirit led the saints under the Old Covenant. And we had a look at the, the scripture that described to us the three primary ways that God used under the Old Covenant in order to lead the uh, the, the Old Testament saints and that was in 1 Samuel chapter 28 verse 6 and the scripture reads and when Saul inquired of the Lord the Lord did not answer him either by dreams or by Urim or by the prophets and so we saw that those were the three primary methods that God used under the Old Covenant in order to lead the Old Covenant saints was through uh, dreams through the Urim and through prophets and we saw that Prophets were the primary way that God led the Old Testament saints, but the, the Old Testament saints could also expect to be led by God through dreams and through the Urim. And so we come to the other methods now that God used under the Old Covenant in order to lead and guide the Old Testament saints. And these other methods are not methods whereby the saints could expect to be led by God. These were methods that God used as He sovereignly decided to use in order to guide the Old Covenant saints. And uh, we're going to have a look at those three methods now. Two of those methods, uh, the saints could not ask God to, to um, lead them through. The other method, we'll see that it was possible for the saint to um, pray to the Lord and the Lord would answer them in this manner. And the first uh, method we will look at is God speaking to the saints under the Old Covenant through His audible voice. And we're talking about how God led the, the believers now. We're not talking, if you recall, we looked at other uh, teachings where the Lord led the prophets, uh, led the saints through the, the, the ministry of the prophet. 
And we saw under the ministry of the prophet of the Old Covenant that all Old Testament prophets had to hear the audible voice of God. That was part of their ministry. That is why God uh, held them to such high degree of account in speaking on behalf of them because they couldn't get it wrong because they would hear the voice of the word of, of the Lord speaking into their ear and they would then repeat what God had said to them. To them, it was an audible voice of God and it was not them giving the interpretation of what they felt God said. They just heard what God said and they would then in turn repeat it to whoever they were giving counsel to. But they were anointed by the Holy Spirit to stand in that office and so the Holy Spirit was upon them. And uh, because the Holy Spirit was upon them, they could hear the audible voice of God. But we've also had a look at the fact that Old Covenant saints had no contact with the Holy Spirit whatsoever. They did not have the Holy Spirit upon them in any form or manner. And so they could not hear the audible voice of God at all. However, there are instances in Scripture where we see God speaking to Old Covenant saints um, with His audible voice. And this was always done as a result of God sovereignly, sovereignly deciding to speak to individuals with his audible voice. And the first one we'll have a look at is, in fact, not a saint. Uh, we're looking at um, Cain as the example. And Cain was not a saint of the Lord. Um, and God chose to speak to him audibly. And we'll pick up the account in Genesis chapter 4, beginning at verse 6. So the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door, and its desire is for you. But you should rule over it. Now Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass, when they were in the field, that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And he, this is the Lord, he said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. And so we see that the, the Lord spoke audibly to Cain. Cain had a conversation with God. Um, and Cain was not what we would call, well, he was not a believer, certainly wasn't a saint. Um, in 1 John chapter 3, verse 12, the Apostle John, well, the Holy Spirit through the Apostle John refers to Cain as being of the wicked one. The scripture says, not as Cain, who was of the wicked one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brother's righteous. And so we see that even in, in, in this particular instance, God speaks audibly to Cain, who is not uh, a believer and who is not uh, one who would be called a saint. Um, and he's certainly not one who's in heaven today. Um, but God spoke audibly to him nevertheless. Cain has a conversation with God. It's an audible conversation between the two. And so this is um, something that God did. And he did it as an act of his sovereignty in that he, because he addressed Cain first, if you recall, in, in the scripture we read now. It was God who first spoke to Cain and not the other way around. Another account we'll have a look at where God speaks audibly to a saint under the old covenant who is not a prophet is um, 
God speaks to, to Job and he speaks to his friend Eliphaz. Um, he speaks to them both at the same time. Job is not a prophet. Job is a righteous man. The Lord uh, describes him as a righteous man in uh, Ezekiel chapter 14, verse 14. This is the Lord speaking about um, Job, including two other of the saints under the Old Covenant. He says, even if these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job, were in it, they would deliver them only themselves by their righteousness, says the Lord God. So God refers to Job as a righteous man. We know that. We know that when um, the challenge took place in heaven and um, God uh, challenged Satan with regards to his servant Job. Um, God acknowledged Job as being a righteous man, but Job was not a prophet. And so Job did not have the ability, the anointing upon his life in order to hear the audible voice of God. But in this particular instance, God speaks to Job audibly and to Eliphaz, his friend, Job's friend who's with him at that particular time. And we pick up the scripture, it says in Job in chapter 42, beginning at verse 7. And so it was after the Lord had spoken these words to Job that the Lord said to Eliphaz, the Temanite, My wrath is aroused against you and your two friends. For you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. Now therefore take for yourselves seven bulls and seven rams, and go to my servant Job, and offer up for yourselves a burnt offering. And my servant Job shall pray for you, for I will accept him, lest I deal with you according to your folly, because you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has." And so we see that our, our Lord spoke audibly to Job, and then he speaks audibly to Eliphaz as well. And so under the old covenant, it was possible, and it did happen from time to time, that God spoke uh, audibly to the saints and also to unbelievers under the old covenant. But it was never um, uh, an option that the saints had a right to. It was always done through God's sovereign will, and God always initiated speaking audibly to the saints. There is another, another method that God didn't use under the Old Covenant, whereby he led the Old Covenant saints. And again, this method was also done through the sovereign will of God. And that particular method was through visions. Um, and visions were granted to the Old Testament saints. We're not talking about prophets now. We're talking about normal believers who do not have the Holy Spirit upon them at all. And God grants them visions. The only account that we have under the Old Covenant of visions um, that Old Testament saints see are visions of angels, angelic visitations. God sovereignly allows his angels to appear to certain individuals in the Old Covenant and give them guidance and speak to them and uh, declare the will of the Lord to them. Um, but in all instances, they never seek angelic visitation. God initiates the angelic visitation. And in quite often, and we'll read a couple of accounts in Scripture, but most instances, they're not even seeking the counsel of the Lord. God just super, uh, supernaturally intervenes with his angel and uh, presents the, the individual with God's counsel uh, for their lives at that particular point in time. And the first account we'll have a look at is uh, the account of Hagar. Um, the background to this particular account is 
um, Hagar has now fallen pregnant by Abram, um, and Sarai, Abram's wife, has taken, um, it was under her suggestion that Abram takes her as wife. Um, she falls pregnant, and now Sarai is kind of um, upset about that, and she has now started to treat Hagar very badly, and so Hagar basically runs away and uh, you know is, is, is wanting to get away from that whole situation and we pick up the account where she's in in the wilderness and uh, she's not not too sure what to do next but she's not seeking counsel from God but God nevertheless sends his angel to speak to her and the account we pick it up in is in Genesis chapter 16 beginning in verse 7. Now the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, Sarai's maid, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from the presence of my mistress Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit yourself under her hand. And so here we see God giving her counsel through his angel. She hadn't sought it. Um, but God had nevertheless stepped in and given her counsel um, because obviously God had vested interest in um, Ishmael, who would turn out to be Ishmael, which, is, uh, which was Abraham's offspring as well. And so God uh, stepped in there. And so that's the first account we had a look at. But there's many. But we'll have a look at a couple more. The other one we'll look at is uh, the angel appearing to Gideon. Um, and again, Gideon's not looking for any angelic visitation from God, and Gideon's not even looking for any visitation from God. He's not looking for any counsel from God at this particular point in time. But God has a plan for Gideon. Gideon's not a prophet. Gideon's just a normal uh, believer, a normal saint who's had no contact with the Holy Spirit whatsoever. And God sovereignly steps in, sends his angel to speak to Gideon because God's got a plan for Gideon's life, and he wants to now use him. And so we'll pick up the account in Judges chapter 6 beginning at verse 11. And the scripture says, Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which was in Oprah, which belonged to Joash Abizrite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. And so, God sends the angel to, to open up the account with Gideon and to reveal to him that God has got a plan for his life and God wants to use him to deliver the children of Israel from the Midianites. And God does this through an angelic visitation. Um, and that is something, again, as I say, that God does initiate on his own. It's not something that the saint is seeking. And this is how God communicated with Gideon. At, at the opening stage, we'll have a look further on in Gideon's life as how the Lord also communicated with him. And then the last account we'll have a look at, which is, as I said, there's many accounts under the Old Covenant of God speaking to the saints through angelic visitations. But, um, well, we'll look at one more account after that. And we'll, but this one account is, is, is quite interesting uh, to look at because in this particular account that we'll look at, it's the only account in Scripture whereby we see a saint asking God for a visitation from an angel and God granting that visitation. But you'll see in the account that the saint who asked God for the visitation, it's as a result of God initiating the first visitation by the angelic being. And we're talking about 
Samson's parents. Uh, before Samson's parents, uh, before Samson's mother becomes pregnant with Samson, the angel appears to her and speaks to her about uh, her son that she's about to conceive and how she is to bring him up uh, in the way of the Lord. A very similar situation to uh, Gabriel appearing to um, Mary when uh, he, he spoke to her about um, uh, the Lord Jesus um, and also Elizabeth when Gabriel spoke to her about uh, John um, a lot. Gabriel didn't speak to Elizabeth, Gabriel spoke to Zechariah. Wrong one. Anyway, let's go back to Samson's parents. And so the account that we'll pick up is in Judges chapter 13 beginning at verse 2. Now there was a certain man from Zorah of the family of the Danites whose name was Manoah and his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Indeed now you are barren and have borne no children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Beginning up at verse 6. So the woman came and told her husband, saying, A man of God came to me, and his countenance was like the countenance of the angel of God. Very awesome. But I did not ask him where he was from, and he did not tell me his name. And he said to me, Behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. Now drink no wine or similar drink, nor eat anything unclean. For the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. And we'll, in verse 8 then, Then Manoah prayed to the Lord and said, O my Lord, please let the man of God whom you sent come to us again and teach us what we shall do for the child will be born. And God listened to the voice of Manoah, and the angel of God came to the woman again as she was sitting in the field. But Manoah ran in haste and told her husband and said to him, Look, the man who came to me the other day has, now, has just now appeared to me. So Manoah rose and followed his wife. Then he came to the man and said to him, Are you the man who spoke to this woman? And he said, I am. And then he obviously gives uh, them counsel as to how it is that they are to bring up uh, Samson as a young Nazarite. Um, but the point remains, here are two individuals who are believers and God has a plan for their life. And because God has a plan for their life, specifically, he's wanting to, their son that they will receive from the Lord to be used mightily of the Lord. God then dispatches his angel to speak into their lives and to give them counsel as to what it is God's wanting them to do. They have not sought visitation from the angel. They never dreamt that they would have a visitation from the angel. But God had uh, intervened, and this is what God had done. And then we see Manoah then praying and saying, Lord, please send the, the angel back so that we can get some uh, clearer guidance. God hears that prayer and sends the angel once again and gives them more accurate guidance as to what it is that they needed to be doing in order to bring up Samson, uh, their son. And then... One final account we'll have a look at in Scripture of an angel appearing to an ordinary believer and giving them guidance and counsel as to what God wants them to do um, is uh, closer to the New Testament. And we're looking at uh, the account where Cornelius, the centurion, receives guidance from the angel. And uh, what has happened is, is that um, Cornelius is a righteous man and he's a just man and he loves the Lord. He's not a proselyte. Um, he has not converted to Judaism. He believes in God, uh, the, the God of the Jews, and he prays to him. 
and he, he, his desire is to serve him, but he has not converted to, Juda to Judaism. Um, what has happened is Cornelius lives in Caesarea, okay, Caesarea or Caesarea, and Philip, the evangelist, has come into the town of Caesarea, and Philip has begun to preach Jesus, the Messiah. And what has happened is now there's a, a division amongst the Jews because, the, you, because don't forget, Philip is only preaching to the Jews at this time. No one has preached to the Gentiles yet. Cornelius is the first Gentile to whom the Lord um, sends Peter to preach to. Um, so when Philip comes to town, Philip is only preaching to the Jews because at that time they still think that God is the God of the Jews and salvation is for the Jews and Jews alone. Nobody's thought about the fact that the Gentiles are meant to be coming into the kingdom of God. And so Philip comes in and he starts preaching Jesus as the Messiah. And there's a division that occurs in the synagogue in, this, in the town of Caesarea because now you have the Jews that have accepted Philip's teaching of Jesus as being the Messiah and you have the balance of the Jews saying, no, no, that's not correct. Um, Cornelius is, is stuck between the two now because he's now saying, okay, but now who's right? Because I want to serve God, but now I see the Jews who also serve the same God that I want him to serve is a division amongst them because the one half of them or whatever portion of them is saying that this Jesus is the Messiah and the others are not are saying, no, he's not. And so Cornelius is now seeking God and he's fasting and praying and he's asking God for guidance as to just who is right in this particular matter. And God hears his prayer. Now, Cornelius is not asking God to send an angel to give him guidance. Cornelius is asking the Lord who's right, who should I be following, um, who, whose teaching is correct. God hears that prayer and God dispatches his angel to speak to Cornelius. And we'll pick up the account in Acts chapter 10, beginning at verse 1. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian regiment a devout man and one who feared God with all his household, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. And when he observed him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? So he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa, and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging with Simon a tanner, whose house is by the sea. He will tell you what you must do. And we know in a further account in Scripture that uh, the, the angel had actually said to him, he will tell you what you must do in order to be saved. Um, and so the angel cannot preach the gospel to Cornelius. The angel can't say to, the, to, to Cornelius, Jesus is the, is the Messiah, you must believe in him. Because... God has deemed that men will preach the gospel. And so all the angel can do is point Cornelius to the right person to speak to. And so God chooses Peter to speak to Cornelius. And we know the story about Peter comes down and preaches to the Gentiles for the first time. And they are brought into the kingdom of God for the first time. But here is an account again of uh, a saint who has no contact with the Holy Spirit whatsoever and who's not seeking angelic visitations from God, but is seeking God's counsel and asking the Lord for guidance. And so God 
steps in supernaturally and dispatches his angel to speak into Cornelius's life to point him in, excuse me, into the right direction. Go to Peter and call him down here and he will give you the words that you must uh, abide by in order to accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And so that's the, the next account we will look at. So there are many other accounts under the Old Covenant of uh, angelic visitations taking place among the saints. But as I said to you before, and I'll keep saying it, uh, not, no, no time did any of the saints request these angelic visitations. God did it supernaturally, sovereignly of his own will. Um, and he did it because the saints had no other way to find out from God what is his, what was his will. And so God stepped in, and that is how God moved. Um, there is another method that God used under the Old Covenant in order to guide this, the Old Covenant saints, and that was through signs. Now, this particular method um, was not a method whereby we see very many accounts of it under the Old Covenant. Um, but we do see uh, some accounts. And it is a, a method whereby the saints at times ask God, God, if you ask, wanting me to do this, will you please do that? Okay? And God in, in, in his sovereignty and God in his mercy answering in that method and giving them guidance. And he did that because they had no other way under the old covenant of knowing the will of God. It was probably in the situation there were no prophets anywhere nearby where they could go to the prophet and inquire, and they needed God's guidance. And they needed his guidance uh, almost like at that particular time um, because time was of the essence. And so God then in, in his sovereignty uh, gave them a sign, a requested sign um, under the old covenant. The first account we'll have a look at is the account of Abram's servant. Abraham now, by this time, his, his name is changed, um, who sends his servant to his hometown to find a wife for his son Isaac. Um, Sarah has said that she doesn't want Isaac to marry any of the local girls, and Abraham's agreed to that, and so Abraham says, sends his servant to his hometown to find a wife for Isaac. Um, and so the servant now is traveling, well, he travels all the way there, and he has gifts that he's brought uh, with him for the woman who God has chosen for Isaac to be his wife. Um, he doesn't know who that person is. No one knows who the person is except God at this particular point in time. And so he's come all the way there, and he is now asking God to intervene. He's asking God for a sign so that he would know just who it is that God has chosen to be Isaac's wife. And we'll pick up the account in Genesis chapter 24, beginning at verse 1. Now Abraham was old, well advanced in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. So Abraham said to the oldest servant of his house, who ruled over all that he had, Please put your hand under my thigh, and I will make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of all of the earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of, of the Canaanites, among whom I dwell. But you shall go to my country and to my family and take a wife for my son Isaac. Moving on to verse 11. And he made his camels 
kneeled down. So he's now moved uh, across to this. The, he's left Abraham and he's traveled through to Abraham's hometown. And he's arrived there. And he made his camels kneel down outside the city by a well of water at evening time, the time when women go out to draw water. Then he said, okay, so now here's the, the sign he's asking for. O Lord God of my master Abraham, please give me success this day and show me kindness, show kindness to my master Abraham. Behold, here I stand by the well of water and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Now let it be that the young woman to whom I say, please let down your pitcher that I may drink. And she says, drink and I will also give your camels a drink. Let her be the one you have appointed for your servant Isaac. And by this I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. So he, this particular servant, he's a believer. He believes in God. He prays. But he has no contact with God. And so he's, the only way he can get God to give him indication as to who's the person chosen is he asks God, can this person do this particular thing? And if this person does this particular thing, I'll know this is the one you have chosen. And so that's the way he prays. Um, verse 15. And it happened before he had finished speaking that behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her pitcher on her shoulder. Now the young woman was very beautiful to behold, a virgin no man had known her. And she went down to the well, filled her pitcher and came up. And the servant ran to meet her and said, Please let me drink a little water from your pitcher. So she said, Drink, my lord. Then she quickly let her pitcher down to her hand and gave him a drink. And when she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. Then she quickly emptied her pitcher into the trough, ran back to the well to draw water and drew for all the, his camels. And then moving down to verse 45, which is quite an interesting point that we need to be bringing in here. But before, now he's recounting to the family about what he had asked God to do and God had answered. He says, but before I had finished speaking in my heart, and so he's not speaking verbally when he asks God for this particular sign. He's communicating with God in his heart. And God, God listens to, to the, the prayers of our heart because God knows exactly what our thoughts are. And he's listening to us all the time. And he's listening to this particular man's prayer as he prays in his heart. He said, but before I had finished speaking in my heart, there was Rebecca coming out with a pitcher on her shoulder and she went down to the well and drew water and I said to her, please let me drink. And so God answers uh, Abraham's servant's prayer and God leads Abraham's servant through the sign that is requested by Abraham's servant. And so in this instance, it is correct for God to do this because the servant has no method of finding God's will except through a sign. And so God grants him the sign that he's requested. Um, another account we'll have a look at, which is the, most probably the most famous account under the Old Covenant of a believer requesting signs from God and God providing those signs in order to give guidance to that particular believer. And that is the, the believer we're talking about is Gideon. And so we saw the opening account where God 
has a plan for Gideon's life. God wants to use Gideon to, to lead the Israelites to uh, deliver them from the Midianites. And so God sends his angel to speak to Gideon. And that's how God opens the encounter with Gideon. Um, and so now Gideon is getting to the point where he's now going to have to lead the children of Israel. And now he's looking for a sign because um, he wants to be 100% sure that God is in it and that you know he's not being misled in any way. And we pick up the account in Judges chapter 6, beginning in verse 11 again. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which is in Oprah, which belonged to Joash the Abizrite, while the son of Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Picking up in verse 14, Then the Lord turned to him, and said, Go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? Verse 17. Then he said to him, Now this is Gideon speaking to God. If now I have found favor in your sight, then show me a sign that it is you who talk with me. Do not depart from here, I pray, until I come to you and bring out my offering and set it before you. And he said, I will wait until you come back. This is the angel speaking to Gideon. So Gideon went and prepared a young goat and unleavened bread from an ephod of flour. The meat he put in a basket and he put the broth in a pot and he brought it, brought them out to him under the terebinth tree and presented them. The angel of God said to him, take the meat and the unleavened bread and lay them on this rock and pour out the broth. And he did so. Then the angel of the Lord put out the end of the staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened bread. And fire rose out of the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened bread. And the angel of the Lord departed out of his sight. Now Gideon perceived that it, he was an angel of the Lord. So Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for I have seen an angel of the Lord face to face. Then the Lord said to him, now God speaking audibly to Gideon, Peace be with you. Do not fear. You shall not die. Uh, picking up again at verse 36. So Gideon said to God, If you will save Israel by my hand as you have said, look, I shall put a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece only and it is dry all on, dry on all the ground, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand as you have said. Verse 38, And it was so. When he rose early the next morning and squeezed the fleece together, he wrung the dew out of the fleece, a bowl full of water. Then Gideon said to God, Do not be angry with me. Let me speak just once more. Let me test, I pray, just once more with the fleece. Let it now be dry only on the fleece, but, all, but on all the ground let there be dew. And God did so that night. It was dry on the fleece only, and there was dew on all the ground. And so God was gracious to Gideon um, because Gideon had never had any encounter with God before. And it was, Gideon hadn't sought the encounter, don't forget. God initiated the encounter because God had a plan for Gideon. And so God allowed Gideon to ask him for these signs. And God graciously gave him these signs, many signs, in fact. Um, but it was because of the fact that Gideon had no other way of knowing the will of God except by God moving supernaturally through, through signs. And so these were the other three methods that were available to the Old Covenant saints uh, for God's leading and guidance. Two of them were um, 
purely at God's sovereign will. And that was his audible voice and through angelic visitations. The other method was through signs. And it was possible for saints to ask God to give them guidance through signs if they had no other way of knowing God's, perfect, God's will for their life in that particular time, as we saw with regards to Abraham's servant and as we have seen with regards to Gideon um, being used of the Lord to deliver the children of Israelite from the Midianites. And uh, we're going to end off this particular teaching. time in my life that I did not know the Lord. I'd heard people speak about him, um, but it didn't make any sense to me. It was just something that I, I thought that people did. People went to church. It was, that was what they did. It was not something that I did. And then I met some people um, who were Christians and they befriended me and I got to know them a bit. And one of them gave me a book to read that they felt that I should read. And out of basically just trying to be polite, I said to them, okay, I'll, I'll read that book. And I, I took the book with me to work one day. And it was during my lunch hour and um, I decided, okay, I better read this book. I said to the person, I promised them that I would. And so I, I, I sat back, I was in an office by myself, and I began to read the book. And the book was about a young man who had grown up as a, a Roman Catholic. And I suppose that's why the book was given to me, because I had also grown up as a Roman Catholic. And, um, but I'd never heard the gospel preached. Nobody had ever told me about salvation through Jesus Christ. And... As I began to read this book, what this young man experienced in his life when he gave his heart to the Lord um, just seemed so real. And there were other friends in, the, in this book who had also grown up with him and they had gotten together after a number of years, uh, had been separated, gone their separate ways. And they subsequently found out that each one of them had given their hearts to the Lord Jesus. And there was just something that was so real about that particular thing that these guys were expressing. And I remember this so vividly. This happened to me in that I sat back in my chair and I looked up at the ceiling and I said, Lord, if this is real, then I want it. Now what I expected to do after having said that was to lean forward again and to begin reading the book. I no more expected what happened to me as being the next person to, to walk on the moon. As I said those words, Lord, if this is real, then I want it. An absolute power fell on top of me. I got such a fright, I burst into tears. I knew that that instant that I was born again, that which I was reading about in this book had happened to me. I had become born again. I had given my heart to the Lord Jesus. 
and I changed completely. My life changed overnight. Um, I'm not going to go into any detail about that, but I, I was saved. I, I, in tears, I remember looking up into, into the ceiling and just saying, Lord, this, this is real. Heaven is real. Um, I had before that time thought that heaven was a fairy tale that people would speak about. It was not something that was anything that, that made any sense to me. But at that instant, everything made sense. I was born again. I, my life changed. And I have been His ever since. And if you've never given your heart to the Lord Jesus, I would encourage you to do that right now. I would encourage you to close your eyes and I will pray with you now. And as I pray, you pray with me and you give your heart to the Lord Jesus. And you find out for yourself just how real He is. Father, we thank you for Jesus Christ our Lord. Lord, your word declares that if we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth you as Lord Jesus and we believe that God our Father has raised you from the dead that we will be saved. Lord Jesus, I believe that God our Father has raised you from the dead. I confess you now as my Lord and my Savior. I thank you now, Lord Jesus, that I am saved. Thank you, my Lord. You are saved. You have changed. You will see that change. You will know the change within you straight away. And you will see that change taking place in your life over the years to come. I would encourage you now to get involved in a church, a church where they will teach you the, the Bible and teach you the truth of God's Word, where they will teach you to be filled with the Holy Spirit so that you can be filled with the Holy Spirit and speak with other tongues. For this is another experience that is part of the, the Christian walk. And we encourage you to read your Bible every day and to spend time in prayer and to fellowship with God and fellowship with His children and to grow in the things of God. May the Lord richly bless you as you continue in your walk with the Lord Jesus. Amen.